0: To teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your prophetic word. God, we thank you that you alone can tell the end from the beginning. And that God, by that fingerprint alone, you authenticate your message to us, your people. And God, we pray that as we continue this study, that all of us would have a sense of urgency to live for you every single day and to surrender our lives and our families to you and your will and what you have for us, God. Bless this study and teach us everything, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are going to continue our study here. And like kind of, I kind of mentioned last week about when you get into studying prophecy, the enemy will try to to insert fear all over your life when you start to study prophecy. And so we, we need to pray against that spirit of fear. Remember 2 Timothy 1, seven through 10, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now it's, what's interesting is even in that, the power, love, and sound mind, it's a triune state of, of the spirit in you reflecting God. Power, love, and sound mind. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son all together in how the spirit within you should live and act. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Remember in Revelation 19, the spirit of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you're studying prophecy, just understand you are looking into the deeper things of God that he, in all of it, reflects Jesus. All of it points to our Messiah. All of it points to the coming of Jesus, every bit of it, and something that God is doing to prepare for that arrival. So just keep that in mind. Last week, we kind of laid some foundational works on the rapture of the church, the 70 weeks of Daniel, and how if you get these building blocks in place, then you can view everything else prophetically without that spirit of fear. Because you know that the church is not going into that time of tribulation that the Bible says will be the worst time in human history. So what I, what I kind of want you to get the picture of is, you know, think of us on this timeline. And there's a glass wall. And that glass wall is the rapture of the church. And you can see past that to the beast system, the Antichrist, everything that's, that the enemy is trying to put into place. And, you're, and you and I are marching closer and closer and closer, and we're able to look through that wall to see what the environment in the world is going to be like in that time. That's what the Lord is, right now since 2020, that's what the Lord is giving us the privilege of seeing. It's kind of like a glass wall that you're able to look through to see the foreshadowing of it, the types, the what will this be like during that time with a one-world government, a, a track-and-trace system, a one-world religion, and on and on and on. So don't forget the 70 weeks of Daniel. We're not going to review the whole thing again, but we're going to pick it up in the middle of, this, of these passages to study the Antichrist covenant. So remember, I went through it really fast last time, but just remember in Daniel 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel, it's 70 seven-year periods or 490 years that are determined for Daniel's people, Israel, the Jewish people. And from the commandment to go forth and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be 69 weeks of years. Okay, and we studied how the Bible always deals in 360-day years. And from the decree of Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2, from that point... Until Jesus riding in on the donkey and declaring himself king, it was exactly 173,880 days. And so it was fulfilled to the day, 69 weeks of years, 69 times 7 times 360. So just remember that. That was on March 14th of 445 B.C. From that decree to Jesus riding in in the Gospels on the donkey, when you account for leap years and everything it's 173,880 days to the day. So after that point, what happens after that? That's where we're going to pick it up today. So after the three score two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off? He's executed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's a title of the Antichrist, the prince that shall come. So destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. So the Messiah was cut off. It literally means executed. And his death did establish an everlasting covenant with you and I. So keep that in mind. Okay, and then here's the verse. And he, meaning the prince that shall come, the Antichrist in Daniel 9.27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So what Daniel is prophesying, what the Lord's prophesying in Daniel... Is that after those 173,880 days, Messiah will be killed, but not for himself, for you and I to establish an everlasting covenant. Then there's a gap of time that we know to now be at least 1,991 years. And after that, after that gap of time is over, what triggers the start of the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven year period of human history before Jesus arrives, what starts that is the Antichrist confirming the covenant with Israel for one seven-year period, okay? And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. In other words, when he confirms that covenant, somehow it is tied to the temple standing and sacrifices being reinstituted in Israel, and we've talked about it a lot here about how ready they are to build the next temple, but in the middle of it, so three and a half years into this covenant, the Antichrist will say, no, you cannot sacrifice to Yahweh anymore, even though they shouldn't have in the first place. You have to sacrifice and worship me. Remember, he's going to go into the Holy of Holies, this is all in Thessalonians, into the Holy of Holies, he's going to do, declare himself to be God. Now, no human can stand in the Holy of Holies without being the high priest and not after, and not until the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So you should kind of question, well, how is this guy who's not the high priest will not have gone through the, this, the ritualistic purification? How is he going to go into the Holy of Holies and still live? Remember, they would wear those bells around their garments, where if someone died, the bells would ring and they could pull them out by a rope. That's what they—that's how they handled that in the Old Testament. So it kind of gives you an idea, he may not be fully human. And that's, that's one thing we're going to talk about later with this whole transhumanism movement and what Satan's trying to do to corrupt the genome and the human DNA. He's trying to literally rewrite man in his image. And you're seeing that in spades today. We're going to spend one Sunday on that soon. So he's going to confirm the covenant. So this triggers the start of what Jesus called the time of trouble about which the world has never seen before. From when he walks in to declare himself God, it's called the desolation, the abomination of desolation. So he's going to walk in, declare himself God in the Holy of Holies, and the back three and a half years is the time of great tribulation, the great tribulation. Now, all seven years are going to be horrible, but Jesus specifically referred to the last three and a half years as being the great tribulation. So what is this covenant all about? We don't actually know much about it, honestly. We don't know the specific nature of it. We know it's between Israel and the Antichrist, and it seems, it appears, it has something to do with with the temple sacrifices, because right after that in Daniel 9.27, the Lord immediately references those sacrifices. But just to clarify, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, that that covenant has anything to do with the sacrifices. I think it's just interesting that the Lord links those two in Daniel 9.27. So in the, the Hebrew, the word for the covenant in Daniel 9.27, it's the same word For the covenant that God made with Abram all through Genesis. Only this time it's a false covenant with Israel. So keep that in mind. This is in Genesis 15, 18, 17, 2, 17, 4, verse 7, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, 19, and 21. In case you're just curious that it's in there a lot. (laughs) It's all through Genesis 17 and 15, this covenant that God made with Abram. And so it's a false covenant with Israel. It's in everything. Remember, everything Satan does is a counterfeit. And so it's no surprise that he would try to counterfeit this covenant with Israel. Now, how does God view this false covenant? Now, you and I will not be here for that covenant. Keep in mind that the covenant triggers the start of the seven-year tribulation Before that, the Antichrist has to rise to power. For him to rise to power, he's got to be revealed. For him to be revealed, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, the church has to be removed. And so just keep in mind the order of events that have to happen. And so what we're going to see in the study, though, is when you see Israel ready to receive a false Messiah in that covenant, just know, look through that glass wall, like I mentioned, and know how much closer we are. So this is how God views the the covenant with, with the Antichrist that Israel makes. It's Isaiah 28, starting in verse 14. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people, which is in Jerusalem. Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell. Are we at agreement when the overflowing scourge shall pass through? It shall not come unto us. And we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood, we have hid ourselves. So God is showing you what is the motivation behind Israel to make this covenant so that when the Antichrist is taking over the world and these wars are breaking out, they think it will hi- it, they will be able to hide behind this covenant, this agreement, and the overflowing scourge will not trample their land. Therefore, in verse 16, therefore thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Now we know who that is. That's Jesus. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. So that's a builder's term, laying to the line. Anywhere you see in the Bible of God laying a line, or if you've never Worked like a plumb bob. If you see if something's in plumb, you hang a line from it, and there's a weight, and you see if it's if it's, center, if it's centered, if the center of gravity is there. It's anywhere God uses that phrase in the Bible, He's speaking of judgment. So just keep that in mind when you're reading through God's Word. Judgment also will I lay. He gives you a hint there. Okay, and the and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Uh Uh-oh, did the battery die, Aaron? We tried to get this uh, fancy thing. Okay, it's working. And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. So this is how God's viewing this. You've made a covenant with the Antichrist with death and hell, and it will not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. Remember, two out of three Jews died during the tribulation, according to Zechariah 13. So they're not going to be exempt. That's the point God's making. From the time that it goeth forth, it shall take you from morning by morning, shall it pass over by day and by night, and it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. For the bed is shorter that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than that can wrap himself in it. In other words, they're trying to hide but there's nowhere to hide. The hiding place is too small for them. For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perazim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he, shall, he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore, ye be not mocked, mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. So remember that the tribulation is determined upon the whole earth, not just in Israel. So the false covenant, we know from Daniel 927 it's a seven year agreement confirmed by the Antichrist. It appears, but we don't know for sure, but it appears to be tied to the temple sacrifices once again, and the Antichrist will break the agreement and desecrates the temple three and a half years or 1260 days into the covenant. Remember, God always uses 360-day years in his, in his word. From Isaiah 28, the Antichrist has other parties joining in, death and hell. The agreement are death and hell linked with them. Israel thinks they are signing up for something that will exclude them from an overflowing scourge. Their motivation is relying on something to provide peace outside of Jesus. So keep that in mind, anytime you and I try to rely on something for peace outside of the Prince of Peace, it leads to destruction. And if you do not rely on Jesus for peace in your life, in your family, in the lives of your children, you are getting a false peace that will not stand. And the same, that's, you're seeing that in the greatest, most extreme example with Israel thinking they're going to have this false peace in the seven-year tribulation. But God is going to disannul this covenant. He says it will not stand because what? In Revelation 19, the heavens are going to open at the end of the seven-year tribulation. He's going to ride down and declare it disannulled and wipe out the Antichrist and all of his armies of the entire world that are surrounding Jerusalem preparing to go to war against Jesus from Psalm 2. So remember, look at Revelation 6.1. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So remember, in Revelation, it's in, it's in chronological order. Starting in chapter 2, you have the seven letters to the seven churches. The church is raptured in Revelation 4, verse 1, when, God, when John says, see, he sees the voice as a trumpet saying, come up hither, and he comes up. He's in the throne room of the universe. We are there. The Messiah comes forward as a lamb that was slain. He takes the scroll from the Father and then he releases the seals, and the first seal he releases is a white horse. It's a counterfeit Messiah. The, the true rider on the white horse comes in at the end of the seven-year tribulation in Revelation 19. So the final world dictator, the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one, the beast, all through Revelation, he's the one that the Jewish rabbis think they are in dialogue with right now. They think they are talking to their Messiah right now. Now, we will not know who he is. So we're going to watch some videos here in a minute of some clips of some things going on in Israel. And when we get there, we're not saying this guy, this rabbi, is for sure the false prophet or the Antichrist. Remember, in the end times, there are two different players involved. There's the false prophet and the Antichrist. But remember, in Revelation John is literally taken. So he is transported back from heaven to the start of the 70th week of Daniel. Everywhere in Revelation, come and see, look, behold. John is literally traveling through time looking at these different events. The word see means to see or discern of the, of the bodily eye. This, these aren't visions. God is taking him and he's seeing all of this unfold. Just incredible. Okay, in verse 2, remember, he sees, behold, a white horse. Now, everything Satan does, if you take nothing else away from this message today, just remember, everything Satan does is a counterfeit, everything. And so this white horse that comes in, he's a counterfeit, okay? He's going to try to come in, and he's going to unify the world through peace, from Daniel 8.25. Now, if you study anything with the New World Order, what's their their phrase or their slogan, right? It's out of chaos order. That's, that's literally what he's going to do is out of chaos. Imagine the chaos the second every Christian on earth is removed from the planet in the rapture. Just imagine the chaos. And the world is going to be looking for someone to come in and put order to this and somehow get a global system in place because we can't let this happen again. And it's how interesting that just three years ago this month, the world was looking for that very thing. And there's a clip out there. I'm trying to find it for this study as we keep moving. But of all the world leaders in 2020 around the springtime going, peace and safety, peace and safety. We need one world government. Peace and safety, peace and safety. It's, it's been nothing but conditioning the people to receive that system that you are seeing on the other side of the glass wall being set up right now for the last three plus years. So beware of groups who want to usher in peace and safety. Remember what the Bible says? For as as soon as they say peace and safety, surely sudden destruction will come upon them. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Husband will be against wife, mother against father, you know, all these things. Jesus is, whether you like it or not, he's divisive because the world hates him. And you and I are, are, are not of this world, but we are in the world right now. Okay, this final world dictator, look what he has with him in the first seal. He has a bow with him. It's a bow with no arrows. Okay, this harkens back to Daniel 8, 25. By peace, he will destroy many. The word for bow is toxon in the Greek. And it does mean bow, but I believe the Holy Spirit's dealing in a pun. Because it's the exact same word ...that God uses when he sets his covenant with Noah after the flood. When he puts a bow in the air, a rainbow. It's the token of a covenant between God and his people. And that's how the Antichrist starts that we just studied in Daniel 9 and Isaiah 28. It's a token of a false covenant though. So the Holy Spirit's kind of playing in a pun here. Another example, if you keep that in mind, there's, there's something when you study the Bible called the Law of First Mention. So if you keep this in mind too when you're studying the Bible, anywhere God says something, for, uses a word or something for the first time in the Bible, it's significant. And so he's using covenant in Genesis nine thirteen, the bow, the first time. He's linking it to something in the future. The same thing with the word love. The first place the word love shows up in the entire Bible is when God commands Abram to sacrifice his son Isaac whom thou lovest, okay, it's, it's a setting the stage for another father to give his only son down the road. For God so loved the world, so love is linked to the father giving giving us something. It's that same concept, okay? Okay, the word crown, when he comes forward and a crown was given unto him, keep in mind all authority that the Antichrist will have in the seven-year tribulation is given to him. He, he has no authority outside of what God allows. And the same is true in your life. When you study Job, what happens? Satan's before God, and God says, hey, have you, have you considered my servant Job? It's almost like God is saying, hey, let's put this to the test here. And you can do everything you want to him, but you can't touch him physically. And Satan does, and Satan lives within that boundary Remember, he takes his children, his businesses, destroys his home, everything, and then Satan comes back to him and says, well, of course he's still worshiping you and not blaspheming you. He has his health, and God again says, okay, you can take his health, but you can't kill him, and so God again is setting the battle lines. The same is true in the seven-year tribulation. God is setting and establishing the battle lines for the Antichrist, so as chaotic and as extreme as it's going to be, the authority is given to him. The word crown here, it's, it's Stephanos in the Greek. It means a victor's crown, not a ruling crown. There's two different crowns in the Greek. It's a mark of royal or, in general, exalted rank. Okay, the wreath or garland which was given as a prize to victors in public games in the Greek world, that was a Stephanos. Okay, this contrast with the crown Jesus is wearing when he returns to rule and reign in Revelation 19, he's wearing a crown, but it's a diadem. The diadem is a ruling crown given to kings because Jesus is the only rightful king. That's another hint of how you know everything he does will be a false, the Antichrist will be false. Okay, he's got many titles in the Bible, and unfortunately the one that has stuck with the church is Antichrist, which is really not even one of his titles in the Bible. It's, it's, there are many spirits of Antichrist, and that's in, in one of John's letters, but God never really uses that title of him. There are at least 32 titles of him in the Old Testament and at least 12 in the New. So you have 44 titles of the Antichrist in the Bible. And I may not have gotten all of them. There may be others I missed, so this is not an all-inclusive list. But remember in Isaiah 28, that the covenant involves death and hell. Okay, in, Re- in Revelation 6, when he releases the first seal and the Antichrist comes forward, remember, the fourth seal has riders with the pale horse. I heard the voice of the fourth beast saying, come and see, and I looked, behold, a pale horse, and his name that set on him was death and hell followed with him. So death and hell are also riders after the Antichrist. Keep that in mind. So I I don't know how they play in exactly, but it's something supernatural. And when you look at his titles, the Antichrist, he's the adversary, the Assyrian, uh, Belah from Nahum chapter 1, bloody and deceitful man from Psalm 5, branch of the terrible ones in Isaiah 25, crooked serpent in Job in Isaiah 27, the cruel one in Jeremiah 30, the destroyer of the Gentiles in Jeremiah 4-7, Enemy in Psalms 55, Jeremiah 30, 14, and 3023. He's the evil man in Psalms 140, pretty simple. He's the head over many countries in Psalms 110. He's the head of the northern army in Joel 2, the idol shepherd in Zechariah. We're gonna look at that in a second, King of Princes in Hosea, the king of Babylon, Isaiah 14, the little horn, man of the earth, merchant with balances of deceit, the mighty man, the nail in Isaiah 22 prince that shall come in Daniel 9 that we just looked at, the prince of Tyre, the profane and wicked prince of Israel, the proud man in Habakkuk, the rod of God's anger, the seed of the serpent from Genesis 3. Remember, that's the first event where God declares war on Satan, when I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman being Jesus right? It's biologically incorrect. The woman does not have the seed. It predicts a virgin birth all the way from the beginning in Genesis 3, and that the enmity will be between the Messiah, the seed of the woman, and that seed of the serpent, this antichrist that's going to try to take his place, and there will be war. Remember, Remember God said, you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head, and he bruised his heel when he was crucified, but he didn't kill him Son of the morning, Isaiah 14, spoiler or destroyer in Isaiah 16, a vile person in Daniel 11, violent man in Psalms 140, the wicked one, kind of all throughout the Old Testament Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Psalms, the willful king in Daniel 11:36. 36. In the New Testament, he's the pseudo-Christ from 1 John, the beast in Revelation 11, the false prophet, the father of lie, the lawless one, the man of sin, one to come in his own name. Remember what Jesus said in John 5? Another will come, I've come that you don't receive me. Another will come in my name, and him you shall receive. He's fast-forwarding to when Israel makes this covenant with this Antichrist character. The lawless one, the father of lies, the man of sin, one come in his own name, I mentioned that one. Prince of darkness, son of perdition, the star in Revelation 8 the unclean spirit, and the vine of the earth. Now, when you look at all those titles, some of them may actually be for the false prophet, some may be for the antichrist, so just keep that in mind. God has a lot to say about both of these characters. But the Bible also describes his characteristics. This guy will be a uniting religious pundit in 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13, a powerful organizer, a military leader, That may be how he rises to power through peacemaking is through conquering, to conquer and and conquering from Revelation 6 and Isaiah 4. He's a financier in Ezekiel 28, Psalms 52, Daniel 11. So how is he in Revelation 13 going to track every transaction on the earth that if you don't have something, some kind of mark, and we're going to dig into that as well, that you can't buy or sell anything on the earth. How is that going to happen? He's going to be some kind of finance genius that has a system set up to control every transaction on the earth, which is why when you look at digital currency, just know nowhere in the Bible does it say we will have a cashless society. But if you think about how is he going to do that, you and I can't make transactions in cash then if that happens. It's got to go away somehow. Otherwise, you could go down and barter with people, and there may be some kind of underground economy at that point, but it's very interesting to think about. The political leader, a convincing speaker, highly intelligent, and he has dark occultic practices. The only physical description of him in the entire Bible is Zechariah 11, verse 17. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So remember, one of the distinguishing characteristics of this guy is that he suffers some kind of major head wound, but there's a false resurrection. The world thinks he's dead, but he comes back to life. Everything's a counterfeit. Same thing, Jesus was wounded, and he did come back to life. Okay, the same physical descriptions here, the right eye and his right arm. It's where, it's where the people take the mark in Revelation 13, upon their hand or forehead. And it's also where God's people were marked for delivery out of Egypt at the Passover from Exodus 13. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and, upon, and for a memorial between thine eyes or in the forehead area. So again, Satan is counterfeiting God's mark on his people and trying to get them to take his mark. And you see that in Ezekiel too, when Jesus comes forward with the ink horn and he marks the people with a cross on the forehead, he's marking them. Okay, and we we won't read all these verses, but they're in your notes for reference because I want to get to these videos. But in Revelation 13, that, that head wound becomes this Great characteristic of him that the world is in awe, that he suffered some kind of wound and then comes back. And look at the very last verse in Revelation 13, verse 14. They should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So something happens to this guy. Okay, he he rises to power through peacemaking. We've talked about Daniel 8:25. He's going to perform signs and wonders and false miracles. Okay, so keep this in mind. In 2 Thessalonians 2, even him, this is speaking of the Antichrist, who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved he's going to work line signs and wonders that will make the world just accept him. Satan's occultic realm can perform signs and wonders. Remember in Egypt, when Moses and Aaron threw their rods down and they would come, they became snakes, the magicians and the occultists in the court with Pharaoh could replicate some of the miracles, so to speak. Remember, they threw down their rods, they became snakes, but Moses and Aaron's, Swallowed them up. The same thing. Remember, after those plagues go down and they get more extreme and more extreme, remember, they couldn't do some of them. And they come to Pharaoh and say, We can't do this one, so this has to be God. Remember, that was one of the attributes. And so the Antichrist, when you see today lying signs and wonders going on, just know that's the spirit of Antichrist. If God is not getting the glory, it's from Satan. And Matthew 24, verse 24, that's what Jesus was talking about. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. In other words, if you and I were still on the earth when this happened as Christians, they might be so great, the false signs and wonders might be so great that you and I would be deceived even. That's how extreme they're going to be. So these, these are not just little parlor tricks that you know, are sleight of hand. The Antichrist is going to do something supernatural that's going to lead people astray. Satan's going to come with all lying signs and wonders. Now, when you look at, in Israel today, what's going on? Remember, as we're going through this, we're kind of looking through this glass wall, right, and seeing what is being set up on the other side and before All we know is that we're raptured before the covenant happens and the Antichrist is revealed. That's all we know. You and I may live all the way up to the point of the temple standing, sacrifices starting, uh, the the ten kings setting up the ten kingdoms in the world. We're going to look at that from Daniel 2 with the ten toes. Remember, the Antichrist rises out of them. So we may see a lot of stage setting. So as God's people, we just have to be prepared and know That Jesus is on the throne, he's in control, he's only going to let us see what he wants us to see. And as soon as the church is complete from Romans, when the fullness of the Gentiles become in, as soon as the church is complete, you and I will get out of here. And he's going to call us home. And when that restraining Holy Spirit is removed, there's a gigantic void that Satan rushes in to fill with all kinds of evil. So the Jews, one of the, the major time pieces on God's clock, Israel, the Jews, always remember that. You've got to pay attention to what's going on in Israel. Look at the headlines from the, the Times of Israel, the Jerusalem Post. Just try to look through them once a week and see what's going on. But there's a, uh, we looked at a video last year, and we're going to look at a couple here right now. There's a 33-year-old Syrian-born Torah master over in Israel, and I am going to butcher his name, but I'm going to try to say it for you. It's Yanuka Rav Shalom Yehuda. Now, Yanuka is a title. It's a title of this guy. Yanuka in, in Hebrew means a Torah master child prodigy is what it means. So this guy is 33 years old, which is a, a very ironic age, He's Syrian-born. His family even had to leave Israel and go travel for business while he was young before coming back to Israel. Remember Jesus when he had to leave Israel as a boy and go to Egypt with his family? Then they came back after their business was complete, after Herod died and all that. Now, I'm not saying this guy is the false prophet or the Antichrist, but what I am going to show you is that keep in mind, look at how anxious and eager Israel is to receive him as such. Okay, that's what I want you to get out of these video clips here. They are flocking to this man. And he kind of came out of nowhere. He's apparently a child prodigy who nobody taught him the Torah, but he knows everything about it. He's Apparently, he's worked up to six miracles at this point. And it's hard, I mean... David's not here, but it's on the internet, so it's gotta be true, right? And so apparently he's worked six miracles. The Jews are are ready to receive him as something more than just a rabbi. And if I click next, will it go, Aaron? Okay. divine inspiration.
1: It's so a guy giving a testimony of a miracle. Numerous the Notice they give no glory to God for it either. אתה נרגש לך שאומר לי, מה זה שוב לוא לי, עכשיו, עכשיו, עכשיו. אלא יהיה שום כאב. לא ניטוח, לא, לא צ penalties שום דבר, לא רופאים. שום דבר, הכל יעבור לא היה, קמתי מהכיסר והתחלתי לרקוד כאילו, לא ממש לרקוד כאילו, לקפוץ כזה, ולהראות ש인�яни לא קורא AAаны,
0: Okay, so he, here's the second one. This is him in crowds. There's no audio, but this is him coming in to the tomb of Rachel in Israel. So he's kind of walking down the hall. And he, he was going to the tomb. That's the tomb of Rachel right there in the back. You see that tarp? They're all trying to get to him to speak to him and again, nothing this guy's doing, he's not giving God any of the glory for it. He's not, he's not invoking the name of Jesus. He's not pointing them to the true Messiah. And again, I'm not saying, we're not saying this guy is the Antichrist or the false prophet. But it's amazing that the Israelites, the Jewish rabbis, it is setting the stage for them to receive someone as such. It could be, maybe he is down the road. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But if I click next, we'll go to the next one, Aaron. Okay, we, we probably won't watch this whole thing, but this is a news clip of this guy's asking a, a very famous rabbi about, I don't know what, the subtitles aren't working, so we may skip this one. But he, the thing that he says that's so interesting is that this guy, this Jewish rabbi the Yakuna Yanuka, as he calls him he describes him as bringing a new light to Israel that he embodies some kind of light for the world and whenever he said that on this news clip I thought wow well we know who the real light is it's Jesus right? I am the light of the world And so it's a it's a three or four minute news clip of him describing this guy and how he gives lectures, and how these, there's this amazing insight where you need to go to him for some deeper knowledge of God's word. Very interesting. Okay. Now, with that in mind, so they clearly are, res, are ready to receive this man or a, a false rabbi or false teacher of some kind, right? They are ready to receive someone to fill that role. Maybe this guy may not be but when you see the stage being set in Israel for them to receive someone as a false Messiah, just know we are, we are spinning out of control toward that time period, okay? They, they are looking for him. Okay, is it tied to building the temple? Well, the Temple Institute, we've talked about this some in here, but the Temple Institute's been preparing for the next temple for years. They have the building plans they have the Levitical priests trained, they have all the the garments made, the the temple artifacts are fashioned once again, and once they they receive the okay, they believe it's less than a four-month process for this to happen. Now, they also have the red heifers that we've talked about with Numbers 19 verse 2. That clip there that you're seeing on the right, that's from the times of Israel, that's one of the political leaders over there from four years ago saying the temple should be built now. That was four years ago. And they are, if you paid attention to to Saudi Arabia, Jordan, all those leaders have come out and said, we need the Jews to have their temple back. Now, why would they say that? It's so weird. Why, why are the leaders in the Middle East all backing Israel to rebuilding the temple but that's how close we are. They now have the red heifers. They have everyone ready to go. The garments, the artifacts, and so here's a couple clips on on the temple. Let's see if this plays. There's one more or two more clubs here. Let's, let's look at. That's the Temple Institute. Do not donate to them if you look on their website. They will. They are, they are trying to build the temple that the Antichrist will desecrate. Okay, here's a video from them of, I believe this one is about them making the menorah that's going to go into the temple. Yeah, the golden menorah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So by the Temple Mount, they have this the menorah posted ready to enter the temple. Look how big that is. And this was a massive celebration in Israel when they moved this into place and revealed it.
1: Constructed by the Temple Institute for use in the Holy Temple, stood in the Cardo here in the old city of Jerusalem for seven years. It's now been moved to a new location on the stairs that lead to the Western Wall Plaza and, in fact, the Temple Mount. The Bible commands us, and you shall make a menorah of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the menorah be made. To meet this daunting challenge, the Temple Institute, after many months of intensive research, assembled a team of artisans and craftsmen, engineering experts and scientists to recreate the golden menorah, fit for use in the holy temple. The menorah contains 95 pounds of pure gold. Today valued at 2 million dollars, its total weight is one half tonne. To facilitate the move, a special steel frame was devised to protect the menorah throughout the duration of its journey. Silver trumpet blasts are sounded as the workers raise the menorah up out of the Roman cardo and towards its destination, alongside the Yehuda Halevi staircase, 440 yards away.
0: So their whole goal was to get it closer to the Temple Mount. As it mount. enters
1: into the Jewish Quarter Plaza, throngs of onlookers and well-wishers escort the menorah along its way with jubilant song and dance. For two thousand years, the Jewish people have become accustomed to the scene depicted on the Arch of Titus, notorious symbol of Jewish exile, our forefathers forced to carry the sacred vessels of the Holy Temple out of Jerusalem and into exile. Witnessing the menorah once again being carried through the streets of Jerusalem, but this time towards the Holy Temple, filled the people with an overwhelming feeling that history was being reversed. A circle being closed.
0: So if you heard that, they have, just keep in mind the Jews since 70 AD in their exile and the temple destroyed, they have longed for this moment for almost 2,000 years. They have the, the lamps for oil ready to receive who they think is the Messiah that will help them rebuild the temple. The protective frame is
1: removed and the menorah is set safely in its new position. <laughs> Rabbi Yisrael Ariel of the Temple Institute sets the first oil lamp in place. the institute's director, along with the moving foreman, places the
0: seventh lamp.
1: Isn't that interesting?
0: Okay, just one more short clip about what the temple means. Can you go to the next one, Aaron? Do
1: you know anything about the holy okay. temple and what it means?
0: Nope. Never heard of it? Nothing. I never really thought of it, I guess.
1: That's
0: a really loaded
1: question, man. I mean, that's not like a simple question. Would it change something, I don't to the
0: Jews? Of course. It's a big part of of the Jewish religious identity, you know, having the temple, the place of worship. Because it's a redemption of our our culture. It's it's
1: who we are as a people. We're coming back to who we are. Everything, everything. It's just a dream that we have. We have to live the present and dream. If we don't have dreams, we don't have anything, right?
0: It doesn't mean much to me as I'm not a religious person.
1: I can't even answer that question. I can't even imagine it. it would, uh, I think everything would change. I'm not really sure that we even know this, really. I mean, it should change our whole level of consciousness of how we live our lives to have God's presence so visible and so clear. <laughs> כאילו, כשיבנה המקום, כולם יהיו על מקומם. נראה לה, אנחנו בהפרה מוחלטת כזו, וכשיבנה המקום, אז uh, נחזור למקומנו. קודם כל, שלום בין כל המדינות, אוקיי? אנחנו אומרים שהיהודים יהיו נס לגויים, זה לא מתוך התנסות, אלא כל הגויים יבינו שאלוקים הוא המלך, ויבואו would it affect uh, the nation or peace or something global? You would hope um, you know Hatikva, you're always hoping that you know a cooperation and working together and building something that will last will bring peace to both nations. I mean I would hope so but I, I don't know if it would it would probably take some time before uh, we can continue to establish ourselves as, as a nation that can be that or a legoyen, that light into the nations.
0: A lot happened this year, not just Meirone, a lot of things that just doesn't make sense. And I think it's a wake-up call for all of us and um, I think hopefully it's coming soon because I don't know how else to explain any of it, so.
1: Everyone will be equal and we're going to live happy.
0: Everyone equal. The temple is going to be the greatest building in the world. It's going to be a place that will bring good to to
1: all nations. Read the Bible. It's written there. I mean, you don't have to ask me. Come on. Nobody's going to be jealous of each other. Nobody's going to be poor or stuff like that. The the whole world is going to be very wise, very happy, very healthy. Every religion is welcome. So that's why I think that way. So you would come to the Holy Temple to pray with all the nations together?
0: Yes, all together, all regime. It would be nice sometime in the future, maybe in Messianic times, when, uh, when everyone can pray together. We're all, we're all praying in the same God, it's just uh, different, different words. Yes. No, we're not.
1: The words will be one, and the God's only one. All peoples come to the one. That's written, it's my belief. We all have the same God eventually. Yes. We all believe in the same God. All the people in the world will understand that there is one God. <mug census> <mug census> <mug רואים <laughs>
0: That is, you could sit down with the Bible and almost take every comment those people said and find something in God's word that is against what they just said. All religions together, peace for everyone, having a place of security and hope in something that's not found in Jesus. Nowhere in that did anyone say, I don't want it. Jesus has come and he said one greater than the temple is here. That's, that's, they are so desperate for peace in Israel. And that picture on the right is when they brought the red heifers in. You can kind of see them in that pen there. But, you know, when you see Israel so close to building that and so ready, they're just waiting for someone to give the okay. That's it. They're just waiting for someone to do that. And we're going to look at the one world religion aspect here in the coming weeks also with the Abraham house, the Abrahamic house, where the synagogue and the mosque and the church are all built together. It's, it's startling. It just opened up over in the Middle East, I think two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, but they're gonna build these all over the world, hoping to have a common ground where all religions of the Abraham faith can come and pray together and unite, right? It's what the Pope calls chrysalam, if you've heard that phrase, it's a blending of Christianity and Islam faith with Catholicism. But in that video, it is it is shocking. Did you hear? Did you see the guy at the very beginning? What does it mean to you? I think it means World War Three. And you hear him say that, and you're and as a student of the Bible, you hear that and you go, I think he's right. I think he does mean World War Three. It does not mean peace and safety, as as half of them said. And so. As we're, as we're going down this study and you're looking at all of this, keep Israel in mind. They are the, t- the centerpiece of everything that's ahead prophetically in God's word. And to close up here, again, as we are studying prophecy and studying things and going through this, the spirit of fear is one thing the enemy will try to g- grip all of us with, right? Because you hear the Jews say this and, you, and the enemy will try to tell you, goodness, World War III might happen tomorrow. What do I need to be doing? What do I need to be preparing for? Don't think that way. You are are not promised to go into that time that God says more in his word about than any other time in human history. You're promised to be evacuated. An ambassador is taken home before a king goes to war. So keep that in mind. You're not appointed to wrath. Do not let fear take grip of you. Now, that being said, Again, Satan in these last days is trying to pour out his spirit on our children in the world today. The spirit of fear, anxiety, depression, anger, strife, suicide. We mentioned this last Sunday, but that kid right here in Oklahoma City committed suicide. High school kid. Rebellion against parents, selfishness, chaos, discord, belittlement, false identity, where they question how God even created them in the womb. That's all from Satan, having a sense of being worthless, you know, brokenness, panic, shame, sickness, heaviness, and the list goes on. And we, as parents in God's kingdom, have authority over that. Do not We are going to pray for our children. Do not let Satan pour his spirit out on your kids. In Numbers 30, verses 3 through 5, look at this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hear her vow, and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand. And every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, and not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, none of them. So look what the Lord's showing. The Lord's showing that if you and I will stand in the gap for our kids, everything that the spirit of Satan, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the the dark side is trying to pour on our children, you step in and you disannul that vow, that covenant with death and hell itself. And you stand in the gap and you take that place and you take those shackles off of your children, it will not stand. And so bind it together. We are gonna bind that assignment from the enemy. Okay, if you're, before we pray and close here, if you're not born again, it's very simple. Romans 10, 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You are born again, and then you have authority over all of those assignments from the enemy at that point. Beforehand, you are a slave to them. So do not leave here being a slave. Or if you're watching this online, do not stay in that position. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. And Lord, we know that as your spirit is sweeping across this globe one more time, bringing people into your kingdom getting them saved and born again and living for you and breaking shackles and chains off of their lives. God, we know that the enemy is going to try to replicate and counterfeit that and pour out his spirit on this generation that is so desperate for hope, a generation that is growing up in a world that is totally upside down. As you declared in Isaiah, they will call good evil and evil good. And Lord, we are seeing that right now. And Lord, according to numbers, if we as the parents and the authority in this room stand up and we disannul that vow on our children and we stand in the gap and we pray against it, Lord, you promise in your word that that vow will not stand. And so, Lord, we do that right now. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, we thank you for that promise. So God, let your spirit fall on our children. God, give them a mind of power and love and strength, a sound mind according to your word that mirrors the Trinity. God, we love you. And we thank you that, God, we are not in this battle alone. So, God, we give you our week ahead and pray, Lord, that you would be in total control of our lives. We love you and we worship you. We thank you for the promise in your word that we can be set totally free from Isaiah 61, Jesus, that you came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to set at liberty those that are bound. Lord, we cancel any assignment from the enemy on our lives, on our families, on our children. We cancel those assignments, God, and we praise you and we thank you that you have given us some authority to act and that you will honor that. God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.